And I've been sitting thinking about this message for a long time, really just digesting it, really looking at the context bit by bit, piece by piece. And I was telling um, Nick out there, saying it took me a while to really come with the closing of this message, but I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit be the one to close the message tonight. I want to let the Holy Spirit be the one to lead how he wants to close it. And I really believe that somebody could be blessed tonight. Whether it's going to be just one person, somebody's going to be blessed tonight by this message. And I really, because when you have, when you know in your heart, when you know in your spirit that God gave you a word to share, somebody's going to have breakthrough. And I want you to have faith tonight that God's going to do something in your life tonight through this message, and not because of me, but because the Holy Spirit's already here in this atmosphere. Amen? He's already present right now in this very place. We usher his presence during worship. We usher his presence during our, even when we walk in the door, we are preparing ourselves to receive from God. That's why we come to the house of God, and it's going to be something that God's going to do something amazing here tonight. And again, not about me. It's not about anybody else. It's about the Holy Spirit, and I just want him to come and join us tonight. Would you pray with me so we can welcome the Holy Spirit to come and take over this message? Because I'm so, I mean, I, I, just, I got chills. You get chills on your body, right? You get those, you start shaking and trembling, and I, I'm, I promise you I don't have a fever. It's just the Holy Spirit's already moving, and I sense his presence right now, and I want to just go by what he wants to do tonight. Amen? Amen. And I prayed about this, and it's already happening. It's already happening. The atmosphere is shifting. We sing those songs. The atmosphere is changing now. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe that when we come and praise God together, that the atmosphere is changing, right? And so the atmosphere is changing tonight. And together we're going to pray again for the Holy Spirit to continue to show up and bless somebody here tonight because I really believe he has something special for you. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we come before you tonight, Lord God. And I thank you that your sweet presence is already here. We welcome your presence all the more, Lord God. I know that many of us have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, Lord God, but we want to f- receive a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us anew, fill us afresh with your anointing, Lord God. Touch our hearts, touch our minds tonight as we get ready in t- to go into the Word. Because I believe you want to do something amazing over the hearts of everybody here, Lord God. You want to do something supernatural over everyone who is here tonight. God, you are up to something good tonight, and I sense your presence already. And I, I pray right now that those who are in faith believing that God's going to do something supernatural, Lord God, that they will receive the touch that they need to have. They will receive the blessing that they're looking for, Lord God, because we come to church to celebrate you and your goodness, Lord. We come with an attitude of expectancy to say that, Lord, you're going to move in a special way, Lord God. We are believing for that tonight, and we praise you for that in advance. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. And everyone says? Amen. 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 So the story that I have comes out of John chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 to 15. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. It says this, Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, laid on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time. He asked him, would you like to get well? His response was this, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. 
The Lord doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in a temple and told him, now you are well. Stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jews, Jewish leaders, that it was Jesus who healed him. <laughs> wow. So many things to unpack in this message tonight, in this story that we're looking at. And I, I, so real quickly, I want to talk about something that um, kind of tied the, the, the story, the biblical passage together with our lives that we are faced with now. And so I'm going to be talking about specific things because I think what happens oftentimes is we focus on the miracle. But I want us to focus on what's happening before the miracle happens, and then we'll go back to the miracle. Amen? Because there's a lot of things that are happening in this particular passage of Scripture. There's a lot of things that are happening in the context of this scripture, and if we're not paying attention to it, we miss it. And I think as Pentecostals, we want to go straight to the miracle, and that's great. We want to go straight to the miracle because we believe for the miracle, right? But this Bible, it, it, it speaks clearly. It gives us the whole entire story. It doesn't just jump into the miracle part, but it gives us a background. It gives us the information that's happening prior to that miracle, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great, but I want to start with a story real quick. Sitting on a park bench, looking dejected, Linus said to Charlie Brown, sometimes it seems like life has passed me by. Do you ever feel that way? Charlie looked at Linus and said, no, life has knocked me down and keeps walking all over me. As we look at the words of Jesus, I think you will find them intriguing as they relate to you personally in areas where, like Charlie Brown, or the paralyzed man in this story, you feel like you walk, you've been walked on, hurt, or defeated. How many, ever people, how, how many has ever felt that way, right? You feel like you've been walked on, hurt, or defeated. But Jesus came to ask the paralyzed man and said, I'm going to ask you to do the impossible. Stand up and walk. And that's the title of my message tonight. Stand up and walk. I'm going to ask you to do something impossible, something that, that you haven't done for the last 38 years to stand up and walk. You know, when Jesus walks in a room, things change. When he walks in a room, when the presence of the Lord is there, if the atmosphere begins to shift because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And even though he came down as a human being, that's God in the human flesh. And when he walked into that situation, everything began to change. Shifted. And I believe that if we were there person, I'm going to take you on a journey. Imagine you being at the pool of Bethesda right now, and Jesus walks into the place. And you feel something different. You feel like, what's going on here? Well, there's something that's changing here. There's something that's moving within me. But I want you to understand something. He didn't come for everybody else. He came for him. He came for that one person. Now the Bible don't tell us whether the rest of them got healed. I believe that his, his, he's so powerful, he's so mighty, like he told, he had to be, be specific when he went to the Lazarus grave and said, Lazarus, come out the grave because otherwise if he would have said, come out the grave, everybody else would have came out the grave, right? But the fact that he says to the guy, stand up and walk, I wonder how many people walked after he said that to that one person. You ever thought about that? Well, Pastor Raphael, the Bible don't say that. You're right, it doesn't say that. But imagine, imagine that. But we're going to focus on 
and things that took place prior to that miracle. See, God's commandments are his ways of making the impossible possible. The very word stand up would enable the paralyzed man to do the impossible. Just because Jesus said it, there would be the power to do it. Just because Jesus is said to stand up, automatically the power to stand up happened at that very moment. Imagine the anointing we could have, right? <laughs> to say, stand up and walk. Well, that was only Jesus. Well, what about Peter? When Peter walked, his shadow healed people, right? He wasn't God in human flesh. He's a man just like every single one of us. But he walked so closely with Jesus that he, become, he began to look like him. He began to have that anointing like Jesus, right? Right? And that's why it's so important for us to just draw close to God and just really put aside the things that are hindering us and really just focus our attention on him because he wants to use every single one of us here to impact somebody's life. He wants to use your hands to lay on people for them to receive a miracle. And we don't say in the name of Raphael, we say in the name of Jesus, right? It is his name, the name above all names. But it's that intimacy with him, that walking closely to him, that, 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 that connection that we have with him that makes the difference. But I want to encourage you to make no plans for failure. Don't say, I'll leave my bed here to save my place on the deck in case it doesn't work out. If you have been in bondage to anything that seems to have a grip on your life, the words of Jesus comes to you tonight and says, pick up your mat and walk. Pick up your mat and walk. Whatever that is, we all know we may have something hidden on our heart, something that we're wrestling with. And God told me to tell you tonight, pick up your mat and walk. Bleed that aside. Put it away. Put it behind you. Because he has a plan for your life. He wants to do something amazing in your life. Praise God. Amen. One of my prayers that's been recently, Lord, give me a love. I want an unconditional love for you, an unconditional love for my wife, an unconditional love for my children, and an unconditional love for people. Sometimes people are difficult to love. You might, right? They're challenging to love sometimes because they rub you the wrong way. They say things to you, and it's like, man, what, what are they, where are they coming from? They have an attitude, but, you know, just praying, God, give me the grace to love people unconditionally because I can't do it on my own strength. Right. But it's, that, it's that, that intimacy, that walking close to him. We used to hear a lot about holiness and purity and righteousness and godliness, and we don't preach those much anymore, right? But I think we need to go back to hearing that because it encourages us to walk closer to Jesus so that we can be used by him. Right? So we can, get, we can be used by him. We can be anointed by him. We can walk in the presence of the Lord. And so make no plans for failure. Don't keep a video stored on your phone just in case you get a craving again. Don't keep a six-pack tucked away in the bottom of your cooler in case you want to sip or two or three. Don't keep the fo the fo her phone number just in case no one else calls you for the next three weeks. Make no plans for failure. Don't allow the opportunity, whatever area of weakness you have, to put yourself in a dangerous situation so that you fall and find yourself slipping and falling again. Have that plan in advance to not go that route. One of the things I never do, I never get in an elevator with a woman by myself. No, sir. <laughs> right? Protection. Keep yourself, you got to be wise. Think ahead of time. Have that preemptive strike, right? Don't put yourself in a situation. Make no plans for failure. You will never discover Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. 
You will never discover that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. We will look at the countries around the world and we say, why does miracles happen in places like India? Why does miracles happen in El Salvador? Why does miracles happen in all the countries around the world? Because that's all they have is Jesus. They have nothing else that's competing for their attention. They have nothing else that's there uh, distracting them. All they have is Jesus. And when they, all they have is Jesus, that's all they need to have. And he begins to move in a special way, right? But there's so many things here that have uh, uh, distracted us and, and try to get our attention. And we just got to say, all I need is Jesus. And I just want more of him and watch him do something amazing in your life. Miracles happen here too. Every single day. We can have revival here too. But we got to put away those distractions, right? We got to make no room for failure. We got to put that behind us and realize that you will never discover Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. That's all, right? Simple. The paralyzed man didn't have Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was despite of all that Jesus, despite all that, Jesus healed him. And I could build a whole sermon focusing on the miracle that happened here, but I want to zoom out and notice the things that surround the miracle. For example, I noticed that some things about this text that look troublesome, things that can be easily missed if you focus on the miracle itself. There's a lot of things that are happening there in those 15 verses of this particular chapter. Like I said, I don't want to jump into the miracle right now. But I'll talk about that because that's my favorite part. But I want to talk about the things that are happening prior to that because there's always something happening all around us, right? First we see the pool, that the pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy, was known as a place where miracles happened. And whether these miracles took place throughout the year or only at, a certain, at certain times, such as on the festival days, we do not know. What I do know is Jesus didn't need a pool to heal the man. He didn't need a pool, right? We see that surrounding the pool were a great number of disabled people who had come with hope of being cured. Some were blind, others were lame, and still others were paralyzed. Their hearts were filled with longing to be free from their sickness, and they earnestly desired to find healing. And you can imagine, you can only imagine what a heartbreaking sight it was to see so many people in need of help, struggling to get into the water, and yet only, only one being able to receive that healing power. Can you picture that? They're struggling. They're fighting to get there. I need to get in that water. I've been waiting here for all this time. And I'm not pushing each other out the way. Like, I got to get there in that water because I'm looking for my healing. In love and compassion, Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? The man's answer was that, was that of a very wounded, broken, lying in despair, losing hope. I can't, sir, for I have no one put me into the pool whenever the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. And maybe you can relate. You're just about to get a break in a business or in a relationship, but someone comes along and beats you to it. And you're like me, having a tendency to be competitive, but note the fact that Jesus was not interested in helping the lame man be the first one in the pool. His purpose was to take him out of the competition altogether. He wasn't interested to put him in the pool. He could have carried him and said, let me help you put you in the pool. But his purpose was to take him out of the competition altogether. Because he doesn't, Jesus didn't need the pool to heal the man. Amen? He is the healer. He is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. He is the promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. And he didn't worry about carrying him and putting him in the pool. Instead, he said, I'm taking you out of the competition altogether. Because this is what I came to do. 
I came here specifically for you. And he was a busy man, right? As he continued to have fame and everybody was following him. But he cared about what? Every single person he encountered. Everybody was important to him. Despite the troubling things we discover in this text, the story begins with grace, that moment that Jesus arrived in Jerusalem. Jesus came back there, when, when, went to the pool of Bethesda on that exact day with one person on his mind, the paralyzed man, the one who Jesus gave grace. Here's where we find the passage shifting from trouble to grace, and that's what Jesus came to do, take the man out of the competition. He traveled all the way back up to Jerusalem during a busy time, a Jewish festival, where many people gathered to find one man waiting by the pool, a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, and Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. There was a festival that was happening. Happening. There was people all around. It was, it was crowded. And Jesus, I can picture him on the way there to the pool of Bethesda. They're stopping him, and they're talking to him, and they're pulling him, pulling him aside. And, hey, I need to talk to you real quick, Jesus. And he's like, okay, he's trying to get there to the pool. And the man wasn't going to go anywhere, right? But he goes there specifically for that one person who needed him. One person. Wow. Wow. And the thing about that, he didn't even know who Jesus was. He had no clue who Jesus was. That's why when they asked him, who said that to you? He said, I don't, he didn't know because he had no idea who Jesus was. So what does that say to us? Some people may not know who Jesus is, but he's still willing to heal them. Some people may not know who Jesus is, but he still died for them. Well, Pastor Raphael, I got unsaved loved ones. Does it mean that Jesus doesn't care? For no, he does care about them because he died for them too. He died for them too. He died for every single person, right? And so they mattered to him because he was on the cross thinking about all of us and thinking about them as well. Here's the thing. Wherever your bed is, that's where your home is. So this man would no longer be sleeping in a place of despair. His home was changing. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. He pretty much said, I'm moving. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm done laying here for the last 38 years. I'm, 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 it's time for me to go. My bed is no longer going to be here at the pool of Bethesda. I'm going to carry my bed. Imagine that celebration, right? Man, he's walking with that bed in his hands. <laughs> and Pastor Greg talked about when when David cut off Goliath's head and he's walking with the head, right, as, as a trophy. This man's walking with his mat like a trophy. He don't need it no more. It's done because Jesus showed up. This picture is perfect. Jesus comes and delivers a man in a place of competition and tradition, rules and regulations. Jesus delivered the one who was lame, withered, and unable to get up, get help, he so desperately needed. The lame man was delivered not by a man to help him, but by the son of man who saved him. He was waiting for a man to help him, but the son of man came and saved him. Jesus never tells anyone to do something or do a thing without giving them the power to do it. Never says that, right? Without giving them the power to do it. So when he said stand up and walk, that's exactly what happened. Even as he spoke new life 
and power flow into the body of the crippled man. He was healed immediately. It was not a gradually, gradual recovery. It was right away, instantaneously. Limbs that had been useless or weak for years now tremble with strength. Then there was immediate obedience to the word of the Lord. Think about that. 38 years you lame. Limbs weak. Now with strength. Instantaneously. At just the word. Stand up and walk. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. What a thrill it must have been for him to do that after 38 years of sickness. Man, if it was me. If it was me. I would pick up that mat and I'd be like, hallelujah! Praise God! I got my miracle. What a celebration. Think about that. Put yourself in that shoes. You're laying for 38 years. You are not able to move. And Jesus says, stand up and walk. I don't know about you, but I would be celebrating, screaming everybody's name. Praise the Lord. Screaming his name. Look at me now. Look at me now. Because God showed up and he did something supernatural in my life. If that will make you excited, church, I don't know what will. I don't. And I think about when he healed me. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was going deaf. I was going deaf. I had to go to a couple of doctors who, and they used to do this test in my ear. Do you hear this beeping? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. And they talked about putting tubes in my ears, you know. And I remember my mom laying her hands on my ears. Sisters in the Pentecostal church that we went to, we went to a Spanish Pentecostal church. And when we had church, we had church. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I remember coming home at 2 o'clock in the morning from prayer services because we spent the night just praying. And I had to go to school the next day. But it was such a powerful anointing. There were such great things that were happening there because they just, all they had was Jesus. When you, all you have is Jesus, you see things happen. You see things happen in your life. You see things happen around you, all around you, because all you have is Jesus, and we worship him. We celebrate his goodness. And when they lay hands on my ears, I tell you what, <laughs> I felt something warm happening. I felt this heat coming upon my ears, and praise the Lord, I am not deaf because he did something supernatural. He did a miracle over my life, and he will do the same thing for you. Just trust and believe that he will come and show up when the time is right. Amen? You might have been waiting for 38 years, but God will show up at the right time. He hasn't forgotten you. He never will. Exactly. He never will. He has not forgotten you. Amen? Stand up and walk. <laughs> wow. Have you wondered how he got to that pool in the first place? Like, who brought him there? A friend? A family member? Or maybe he crawled his way there, right? Whichever way he got there... There, was, there he was found. Even in his despair, the lame man still believed that one day he would be healed, but he was focused on the ritual, not the revivalists. He was focused on the, the, daily, the custom, the yearly custom of that pool being stirred up rather than the revivalists. And when the revivalists showed up, revival happened. <laughs> he shifted his attention. And I love how Jesus goes up to him gently. 
How can I help you? What can I do for you? He speaks to him. Why? Because he mattered to Jesus. Right? Jesus didn't go by and like, oh, there's a lame guy. I'm going to find an important person back there. No, he, no, he went to him, looked in his eye, spoke to him directly. And even in the midst of the guy's excuse, he still said, stand up and walk. And he said, oh, you don't have any faith. Do you know who I am? I am the great I am. I'm the one that the prophets would prophesy for my arrival. Do you not recognize me? Right? He didn't say that to him. He spoke to him, and in the man's doubt, he said, stand up. Walk. So what I'm saying by that is there's sometimes you might doubt that God will work in your life. There's sometimes that you may struggle with having faith. But you know what? He's not concerned about that. He's concerned about you. And even in the midst of your doubt and even in the midst of your lack of faith, he's going to tell you stand up and walk because he cares about you. And I don't want us to get so caught up in rituals and, and, and customs and things like that because God, you know, it's good that we honor him in the ways that we do, but he's not, he's not about ritual. It's about him stirring up a revival. It's about him showing up and doing something amazing in your life. I feel like for so many years, the church, the capital C church, all we did was beg people on the head for not having enough faith. You lack faith. That's why you're not healed. You don't come to church enough. You don't praise God enough. You don't read the Bible enough. You're not praying hard enough. And it's not about that. It's about him showing up when he shows up. It's about him loving you in spite of all those things that you do. Yes, it's important to come to church. Okay? Yes, we should come and break bread with each other. We should come to fellowship one another. And we should come to get our word of encouragement and do community, koinonia with one another. But you know what? If, you, if you're struggling with your faith, he still cares about you. If you have that, that, that one person you think about, when I said that, when it popped in your mind, that person that you're thinking about right now, you're saying, I wish they were here at church, he, he cares about them. Matter of fact, he's with them where they're at. And they may be even sensing his presence right now. And what I'm going to ask you to do, this is not, it may be out of order for me to do this now. It's okay if you close your eyes. You know, I'm, I don't think you're sleeping. But go ahead and close your eyes and pray for that one person or that two person or three person that popped in your head that you say, man, I wish they were here with me at church right now. I wish they were sitting right next to me. I wish they would just come. Pray for them. For God to show up where they're at. Because there may be some things in their life that's keeping them in despair. They're waiting for so long for God to do something. And they may have had faith at one time. And I think, I believe that in the beginning of this man being crippled, his faith was probably greater in the beginning. But it began to dwindle because it's been years and years and years and years gone by. And the miracle hasn't happened. His faith is getting smaller. But the Bible says if you have faith the size of the mustard seed, I can move mountains. So intercede for that person that you're thinking about because they may need some faith. They need God to show up. Wow. God is good. There are many troubling things happening in our world today that can leave us in despair. So many of us get so caught up on focusing on a ritual rather than a revival list. 
We get fo- caught up on the stuff that's happening all around us, and we lose our eye. We lose our focus on the one who is in control. You know, God's not caught by surprise by any of this. He already knew it was going to happen. And I, was, I spent some time with a friend of mine yesterday, another youth pastor here in Lakeland. We went to Southeastern together. And, and I, I'm, in, I'm at Starbucks, Starbucks, one of my, you know, favorite coffee places. Okay, I'm not a sinner because I drink Starbucks. Okay, God still loves me, right? And I'm sitting there, and his name is James. And I said, James, man, you know, I made some mistakes in my life. I made, I did, made, some, I made some poor decisions. And for a while, I was wondering, God, how can you call me knowing that I was going to make these mistakes? And I said, I struggled for a long time understanding God's grace. Like, I couldn't understand that because I kept on sinning in the same area of my life over and over and over again, asking God for forgiveness, right, and, and saying, God, forgive me, and not trying to change at all. And, I, and I, when I finally understood what grace was, when I finally understood, he reminded me, I called you even knowing that you were going to fail that many times. I still called you. He was not caught by surprise. I called you. And that's what helped me to understand, wait a minute, you did call me. I received a call into ministry at five years old, but he saw my whole entire life from the beginning, from the moment I was born, and to the day that I died. He saw it all together, all at one time, and he still called me to be in ministry, knowing that I would make those mistakes already. Wow. And for so long, I was taking advantage of his free will. But then the light came on, (laughs) or my free will, and the light came on. And I realized that I want him to be number one in my life. And it was, I believe, because of my parents, they prayed. My mom, she was a prayer warrior. Prayer warrior. The last time I preached, I talked about how she prayed so much that we would go to her for prayer. Like, we got so comfortable going to mommy. Mom, pray, pray for us, intercede for us. And see what, when she prayed, it's like she touched heaven and God began to move, right? And when we lost her, we were like lost ourselves. Like, man, the person that prayed for us, the one that would um, um, lay hands on us, the one that, that, that was there for us is no longer there. I mean, we felt kind of lost. And the Lord said, I'm still here. I never left you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? I'm still here. Pray to me. Come to me. Learn how to pray like she did. Follow the example that she led throughout her life and watch me do something in your life. And I tell you what, my prayer, my prayer life just began to increase because I depended on him for my strength. I depended on him to get over my, my, my brokenness, to, 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 to go through the, 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 the morning process and just really depend on him to get me through the storm. Sometimes it takes that for us to kind of just draw closer to him, right? Things to happen. And I wonder how many people miss out on a miracle because they chose not to obey the word of the Lord, to stand up and walk, to walk away from their sin, walk away from their chaos, walk away from the worldly agendas. The problem in our world today is we're too busy trying to fight our way to be the first at the pool. We are told to be first, be the best, try harder, fight your way to the top, 
God helps those who help themselves, and we team up with people who think the same way. God helps those who only help themselves. Be about yourself. It's all about me, 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 right? That's the culture that we live in today. Jesus asked the lame man, would you like to get well? Why would Jesus ask this of a man who had been lame for 38 years? Why would he even ask that question? Would you like to get well? I mean, hello, Jesus. The guy wants to get healed. That's why he's at the pool of Bethesda. Why would you ask him such a question like that? Would he like to get well? Don't you know you are God, right? You're supposed to know that because here's the thing. Because some people in this world want to stay lame. They get comfortable living in despair. They want to stay there. They're okay with it. They, they accepted the fact that that's, it's, it's just, that's just the way it is. And Jesus was looking to hear the response, looking to hear him, look, asking him the question to see whether he's going to settle to stay stuck there or whether he's going to be prepared to get what God came, came to do in his life. They're comfortable lying on the deck at the pool of Bethesda with their sunglasses, tanning oils, and AirPods. They don't have to take care of their families. They don't have no responsibilities. They cannot work because they're lame. So others take care of them and put up with them while they ignore the waymaker, the wor- miracle worker, the promise keeper that's, that's comfortable. That's why he asked them the question, do you want to be made well? And you might be living in marital issues, addiction, uh, ish, marital issues, addictions of all kinds, or fascination with pornography. You might have a tendency to lie, to gossip, or to lose your temper. Will you be made whole? Listen to Jesus. Do the impossible. Make no plans for failure, and stand up and walk. Stand up and walk. Praise God. Despite all the chaos in the world today, and people, say, people who stay bound because of it, there's a grace at work in our world. People who look for, out for others. Churches who are intentional about showing grace and being the hands and feet of Jesus, searching for those lying in a pool of despair. Be the kind of person that when you haven't seen a person in church in a long time, call them up. They might need your prayer. They may need your help. Show them the grace that they need. Encourage them. Speak into their life so that they are not stuck in the pool of despair. And this story is not only meant for us to read and see the miracle, but for us to live the miracle. Christ did not come to supplement the man at his best, but to redeem man at his worst. I'll say that again. Christ did not come to supplement the man at his best, but to redeem man at his worst. It was while in your worst time, it was while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Not when you were at your best. It was while you were still sinners. Wow, praise God. I'm glad we serve a mighty God. I'm glad we serve a God who stepped down and became one of us. We don't have to have good deeds to make our way to heaven because none of us are ever good enough to do that. But we have a Lord, we have a lover, we have a person who created us, we have a, 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 a God who cares about so, us so much that he stepped down into this world and he lived a perfect life and he took upon the shame of the cross. He got beaten, he got whipped, he got, he got crucified, and on the third day, he rose again. That's the kind of God that we serve. And I feel sorry for those who want to work their way to heaven by good deeds. That's exhausting. Oh, I got to go back. I had a bad thought. You know, sister so-and-so got under my skin. I I said some words walking away. You know, 
we don't have to worry about working our way to heaven, right? Doing all these rituals, making sure we got to cross our T's, dot our I's. No, he stepped down on this earth. He died for our sins. And when we give our life to Jesus, we are forgiven from our sins. We're forgiven because he was forsaken. Praise the Lord. Despite all the chaos in our world today and people who stay bound by it, he came to redeem man at their worst. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for us for good, good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. There it goes. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We know that grace is a blessing that we don't deserve. It is God's grace that justifies us, sanctifies us, and eventually glorifies us in heaven. The sanctification process, becoming more like Christ, is equal with growing in grace. The more we become more like Christ, we're growing in grace. If we are saved by grace, this means that if it is not because we are good or deserving, rather it is because God is good and gracious. If we are saved by grace, it's not because we are good or deserving, rather because God is gracious. He's good and gracious, right? We know that grace is a blessing that we don't deserve. It is God's grace that justifies us, sanctifies us, and eventually glorifies us in heaven. Amen? And if we are saved by grace, I'll say it again, this means that it's not because we are good or deserving, rather it is because God is good and gracious. We are not saved by, by doing good works, but we are saved for the purpose of doing good works. I'll say that again. We're not saved by doing good works, but we are saved for the purpose of doing good works. For we are God's masterpiece. He had created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's why I don't understand. How can people be Christians and be selfish? How can it focus on itself? How can it have a narcissistic mentality if we are saved and we're supposed to be doing good works for others? I don't, I, I don't get that, right? And I'm going to say this. It's because they're being influenced more by the world rather than God. They're spending too much time in the world and not enough time around his people. Because it is true, right? The more, the more, the, the people you spend the most time with, the more you become like them. So if you're spending time with toxic people who are not good people, who are not doing things right, guess what? They begin to take you in that direction, right? Uh, unless you're intentional and say, you know what? I'm going to effectively minister to them. I'm going to make the difference in their life. So be careful who you spend your time with. Good works are a vital part of the Christian life because doing good is one of the reasons God saved us. He has things for us to do, but the sequence is important. Good works are not the cause of salvation, but the purpose of it. Good works are not the cause of salvation, but the purpose of it. God saved us so that we can go into the world doing good works in his name, and this brings him all the more glory. We are saved through faith. In order, in order to be saved, there is a necessary human response to God's grace. The response is not trying to be good enough 
to be saved. The response is simply having faith in God to save us on the basis of Christ's goodness. I don't have to be good enough, right? Because I'm saved by, his, by having faith. Grace is the attribute of God that enables us to break free of our sinful nature and follow him. It gives us strength and protects us. Without God's grace, we would be hopelessly lost in this world. The more grace we have and ask God for, the more mature as Christians we would be. That's why I say ask God for grace to love people because <laughs> they're difficult to love at times, right? Give me the grace, Lord. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we appreciate all he has done, and the more we appreciate his love and sacrifice for us, the more we will perceive the never-ending grace of God. The more understanding we'll have of that. Right? Because we are trying to become more like him. We're trying to, to change our life. We're trying to walk closer to him. And the more we see clearly, we have a better perception of the never-ending grace of God. So I want to close by looking again at the miracle that happened at the pool of Bethesda. It says, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled his sleeping mat and began walking. I'm going to speak to you right now at this very moment for the next couple of minutes. So many of you feel like the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, waiting for someone to show you mercy. I find it interesting that the Bethesda literally meant house of mercy, yet no one showed him mercy. He's in a house of mercy. Nobody showed him mercy. Nobody even tried to help him get what he was there for. But you sit there, you're waiting for that miracle to happen, waiting for someone to carry you to your breakthrough. And at times you have just enough strength to start crawling your way towards your miracle, but someone beats you to the punch, you got forgotten, you got left there to lay on your spiritual mat, feeling that you don't matter. And you hear many people say in the world today, uh, say black lives matter, blue lives matter, I matter, they matter, but you, you, like the lame man, feel like everyone else matters but me. And you feel like I'm not important. I'm not the one that could go and get to the pool. I'm not the one who has the faith to receive the, the miracle that they are receiving at the revival service. Every time there's an altar call at church, you come up front. You lay your hands on, you get, you get lay, they lay hands on you and they pray with fervency. You feel good at the moment, but then you start heading back out those back doors. You start walking out those doors. You think about what's waiting at home, that mat that you laid on for years, and you say, no, not again. I don't want to go back to that. So you lose hope. You doubt that Jesus has touched you. Because once you leave here, you start going back thinking, man, that mat is laying, waiting for me at home. That despair is right there at my home. And I want to encourage you to do this. Begin to pray over your household so that the atmosphere could change. Because the Holy Spirit is not just meant to be in this building. He goes wherever you are. He goes with you wherever you go because he's inside of you. Do you know that when you have the anointing of God, that you can walk into the uh, 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 ungodly atmosphere, you can walk into a bar, you can walk into a, a tough situation, and the atmosphere begins to change because the Spirit of God is inside of you, and it shifts everything. Changes. And when you go home, that same Spirit of God, can, he goes with you there. But go there believing that what you receive here tonight, what you receive here at church, you go back and just, you can have that in your very home. 
So you start losing hope. You doubt that Jesus has touched you. You come to church the following Sunday night and another altar call. But this time you're hesitant. This time you're reluctant. You come to the altar. You see this person get healed. You hear that person got delivered. You see that person has witnessed a change and another person. But you're still stuck with your mat. You're still saying, why does God continue to do something in their life? And yet I'm still not receive. I have yet to receive my miracle. I have yet to receive my blessing. I have yet to receive my, my breakthrough. Why is that? And I say to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Walk to the altar Jesus is calling you. He showed up in his house tonight for you. He stepped down from heaven, moved in this service tonight so that you can receive your breakthrough, so that you can receive your healing, so that you can receive the change you're looking for. He knows you by name. He came specifically for you. Will you rise? Will you come? Will you stand up and walk? <laughs>